All right. Hey, family. How are you guys doing? Okay. Some of you are awake? Awesome. Well, we'll be awake on Saturday, bright and ugly, as Dana said, at 3.15 in the morning. Um, but just wanted to, you know, I was sitting here thinking, and I, I'm just so thankful for our worship team. Um, man, what a blessing to start off with worship this morning. Like, like they put together and, and just poured out their time to come in and do for us. We have a huge two weeks coming up. I don't know if you know all of what's on the schedule for FCC, but God's going to be working in a number of different ways. This Tomorrow, next, um, this coming week, we have Pine Cove's, uh, Pine Cove is coming in, and they're going to be doing a children's camp. And I think we have some staffers here this morning. Do we have any staffers here? <laughs> thought so. I've, I've got the blessing of getting to work with Pine Cove staffers for years and years. And Pine Cove, in my book, has a reputation of always finding the most skilled um, young adults who love Jesus with a passion. And so I'm excited about my two boys on the front row and my daughter getting to spend time with you guys this week because the past years, it's always been a huge impact on them. And if your kids are signed up and coming, you will not be able to um, just, you won't be able to have any dream or idea of the impact it's going to have on your kids until after and even weeks and months after as these nuggets come out and you go, where did you get that from? And they'll say, well, my staffer told, you know, my Pine Cove staffer, I was doing this. And so God works in some huge ways. The day Pine Cove is over, we're going to be leaving at 3.15 in the morning heading to Haiti for about seven or eight days. It's going to be a powerful time. We're going to be building a house for a family that doesn't have a house. We're going to be working in orphanages that we partner with. Um, We're going to have the opportunity to do vacation Bible school for 200 kids while we're there. And we're also going to be able to do something pretty unique, something we've never done in the community of Calabas and from what we know has never been done there. And we're going to get the opportunity to host and lead. Our actual FCCers will be teaching um, at a pastor's conference. And we'll have about 200 pastors and church leaders that are going to be coming in to spend two days with us. And there's no hotels There's no power to plug up your cell phone to recharge. They'll be coming in and sleeping on the floor of the church or on the outside of the church, just concrete floors. But they're coming in for two days for us to be able to pour into them. And I'm so pumped because we have the opportunity as a church to impact many, many other churches just with this next um, week that's going to be coming up that we're going to be pouring into Haiti. And so be praying for us. If you're an early morning waker and you wake up at 3.15 in the morning, or if you're just up to go get a drink of water, pray that I remember my passport this year, because last year I didn't. So I had to call my wife and say, hey, can you drive up to Intercontinental and bring my, my passport? But also be praying for those pastors and those children in the, at v- Vacation Bible School and, and the orphanage and the family that um, we're building a house for. Um, because without you guys, us that were right up here wouldn't be able to do half of what we're going to be doing. Even three quarters of what we were going to be able to do would not happen if it wasn't for you and your support and your prayers. So pray for us. Be a part of that with us through that week. You might go, who are you? Number one, probably because you haven't seen me since I've shaved. And the other thing is, is I've been out the past two Sundays. Um, I was out the past two Sundays and spending time with my mom and dad. My dad had surgery, had ankle, full ankle replacement. I didn't even know they did that until he started the process of, of going through it, but had his, his ankle completely replaced. And so I was there to help in the hospital and help when we got home. And if your, da- if your dad is anything my, like my dad, then you know he doesn't sit around very often. He's not the guy who sits in the recliner all day and dozes in and out of naps and watch Sports Center all day. He'll watch it for a clip and then he's done. Um, Dad is a high capacity leader who leads big groups of people all the time. 
And so I saw a guy, my dad, who I know is very independent, become very dependent on myself and on my mom through this process. And if you were here last week, you heard Dana teach on on Independence Weekend, July 4th weekend, about dependence. And one of the beautiful things when I got to listen to Dana's message that he said that I want to remind you about, and if you haven't listened to it, make time this week to go back and listen to it. He said this. He said that true individual independence is a myth. We were created to depend on Jesus. And if we can really capture this truth, it'll change the whole way we approach life. You know, I was excited when I got to listen to Dana's talk because it encouraged me because it was just dovetailing perfectly as only God can do with what he was knitting together for our study this morning. Today, I want us to continue talking about dependence. I specifically want us to look at how you and I depend on Jesus each day. As you're depending on him, how do you do this without first being rooted in the Bible? Can you really be dependent on Jesus outside of his word? You know, Scripture even goes further to challenge us to hide it in our hearts and to memorize it so we carry it with us wherever we go. But this morning, my question to you is this. Where are you rooted? Where is your life rooted? It's the first passage of Scripture we're going to look at this morning. It's Psalms chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. If you open the Bible right in the middle, chances are you're going to hit Psalms. And we're going to be on the very first page, so it'll make it easy for you to find But Psalms 1, 1 through 3 says this, Blessed is the one who does not stand in the step, who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. So how does God describe one who's rooted in the word? At the end of verse 2 and the first part of verse 3, we see exactly what he describes. And it's this. It's one who meditates on his word day and night. And then he gives us this example of a tree being planted by a river where its roots are, are able to get sustenance and nourishment day in and day out, moment by moment. So I want to take a moment because I think it's important. I have a message that usually doesn't fit in 30 minutes, but we're going to get it done in 30 minutes. That's why I've been talking fast. But I think it's important for us to take a little bit of time this morning to go inward for each one of us in this room to look inward and to assess where are you really rooted? I don't want you to think about where you hope to be tomorrow or a week or a month or a year from now. I don't want you to think about your goals, but I want you to honestly assess what is the status of your current reality about where you're rooted. Do you spend time in the Bible a couple times a month or maybe a few times a week? Or maybe you're one of those that spends time in the Bible every day. Are you one of those who you spend time in the Bible and then you leave for the day and by the time you crank your car up and you're pulling out of the driveway, you really forget What it is, if somebody asks you, you could remember, but is it in the front of your mind? It's nowhere close. Does it have impact on you throughout your day? I have a buddy who realized he would start the day with the Lord and then leave for the day's events, and he has a busy and high-demand job with a lot of stress and crisis going on. And he realized he would quickly forget about what God said to him in the Word 
that morning. And so what he did is he set his alarm to go off twice during the day, every day. And when it goes off, it's to remind him, where are you rooted? What's God said to you this morning? And how does that fit right now? What does God want you to do right now from this point forward? I love that example of his story. What does where you spend your time reveal to you about where your life is rooted? Are you chasing after power, money, maybe notoriety and fame? Maybe comfort is really important to you, so your life is focused around keeping things comfortable? Maybe approval of others really matters a lot, or maybe it's security. Are you rooted in man's wisdom, the opinion of others, selfish desires, or the culture? Or are you diversifying like a good financial planner? Do you have your roots in a whole lot of things? That way when stuff falls out, you're kind of okay. When you face a decision or problem, do you first think, what does the Bible say about this? Or do you think, what do I think? What would my friends think? What will this make me look like? Are you rooted in the Bible are you rooted in something outside? I want to give you a little bit of time right now just to, just to look inward and to ask yourself, not your neighbor, not your husband, your wife, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, but to ask yourself, what does my time tell me about where I'm rooted? In the song during first service that Ray and the, the band were singing, it brought to memory a statement that one of my friends used to always say that has been something that I've always um, put just a lot of time into chewing on, and it's this. We get as much of God as we want when we could have as much of Him as there is. We get as much of God as we want when we could have as much of God as there is. Seems like a simple approach, doesn't it? To simply ask, what does the Bible say about this every time we encounter a problem or a decision that we have to make? When we ask, what does the Bible say about this, what we're really asking is, what does God say about this? Sometimes I find myself avoiding this question, just to be transparent and honest. You might say, well, why do you avoid it? Because a lot of times I'm in situations where it's uncomfortable because my question or my wonder is, if I really ask God what he says about this, is it going to be different than what I want? So then what do I do? A lot of times I buy into the thought that it's easier on the front end just to be ignorant, around, ignorant about what the Bible says and what God wants me to do. You know, it kind of goes along with the saying, it's easier to ask for forgiveness than permission. Sorry to burst the bubble, but that's a flat lie. And it only causes you and I pain. Scripture's so clear that if we choose to embrace ignorance around the Bible, we choose to embrace pain and suffering and mistakes. Jeremiah 15, 16 phrases it in a really powerful way, verse that I love. It says, when I discovered your words, I devoured them. One version actually says, I ate them. They are my joy and my heart's delight. So if you're discouraged after taking some time to look inward about where your life's rooted, let me encourage you with some scripture. 
Let's look at 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 7. And we're going to spend most of the rest of our time there. In 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 7, Paul's writing the church in Corinth. And they're, they're people he loves. They're his friends. Many of them he's led to Jesus before writing this letter. He's not in town with them. He's actually in the town of Ephesus. And he's writing back to them. And he says this, Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would to spiritual people. I had to talk as though you belonged to this world or as though you were infants in Christ. I had to feed you with milk, not with solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger. And you still aren't ready, for you are still controlled by your sinful nature. You are jealous of one another, quarreling with one another. Doesn't that prove you were controlled by your sinful nature? Aren't you living like people of this world? When one of you says, I'm a follower of Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, aren't you acting just like people of this world? After all, who is Apollos and who is Paul? We are only God's servants through whom you believe the good news. Each of us did the work the Lord gave us. I planted the seed in your heart and Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. You might think, Kevin, how do you get encouragement from that? Sounds like somebody just got just a tongue lashing. Or you might think, he probably just read the wrong verse. I didn't. That's the right one. But where I find hope in this scripture is I see Paul describing our Christian life as a process of growth. Paul describes our spiritual growth like an infant who starts out feeding on milk, growing into an adult who begins to eat solid food or meat, as it's called. Solid food is referred to in other parts of the Bible. That's encouraging. Like, we're a part of a process. God doesn't expect us to be there now, to have finished, to have arrived. I think it's important that we both, we realize that both milk and meat are eternally important. But I think it's important to know the difference between milk and meat because it helps us know where we're at. If you look at Hebrews 5, 11 through 14, Romans 12, 2, and 1 Corinthians 2, 2, we see the description start to come out of milk and meat. Milk is described as our ability to digest the basic truth about the gospel and and our need for salvation, while meat is the deeper truths in the Bible that God uses to mold us and make us in his likeness. Our ability to digest meat is recognized when our thoughts and our actions are changed because of constant engagement with scripture and God's word. These are the things in the Bible that teach us how to think and act so that our lives reflect Jesus' righteousness. So, like I said a moment ago, this tells us really good news, that God does not expect you or me to be there and to have arrived, but we're in a process of growing, and we can still grow in His Word. When I was writing this, it reminded me of of a statement I have in my office by a guy, unknown climber, who was climbing Mount Everest in 1924. And he said this, you have conquered us once. You have conquered us twice, Mount Everest. But you will not conquer us every time because you, Mount Everest, can grow no more. But we can grow. It's important for us to realize that Satan has full access to all the power he's ever going to have right now, and it's not going to change. His abilities, his strengths are not going to grow. But we have the ability when we're rooted in God's word to grow and to overcome. The sin that knocked you for a loop last week 
or that's continued to just beat on your door week after week, month after month of your life, you have the ability to overcome that as you're rooted in his word. Just like Paul was challenging the Corinthians to grow, God's challenging you and me to grow by building our roots in Christ. I can't afford to waste time on regrets. You know, if last week or last month or this past year or your whole life, you look at where you're rooted and you're like, man, I've tried, but I've just not hit the mark. I want to encourage you not to let Satan beat you up with going, I should have and I would have and I wish I did, because it's not going to help. I had a high school football coach who would lumber through our weight room over and over again every day as we lifted weights and prepared in the off season. And he would say this one thing over and over again. He would say, it's what you do with today that matters. I can hear that ring as Coach Tex Brown would walk through and he would, he would just bellow out, it's what you do, do with today that matters. And he would say it over and over. I don't know if he knew it or not, but he was quoting the basis of Matthew 6.34. Because in Matthew 6.34, Jesus tells us, don't worry about tomorrow. There's enough worries of tomorrow. Don't worry about it. Focus on today. And so I want to encourage you to focus on today. I always have some, just moment of transparency, I always have some natural pushback in my heart when I'm teaching on something like this. And you might go, really? Why would you have natural pushback when you're teaching about People studying the Bible, that kind of seems kind of obvious. But I have natural pushback that I might accidentally encourage you to do what Peter Scazzaro describes as doing for God instead of being with God. I want to warn you that there's a danger when we begin to focus on doing for God and we leave God out of the process. I was reading a book recently where the author said something that applies to this in a powerful way. He said, Christianity begins not with what we do, but with the announcement of what he has done. Christianity begins not with what we do, but with the announcement of what he has done. So rooting ourselves in the Bible isn't about doing for God. Instead, it's first about being with him and then yielding to him as he wants to work in and through us. question. When was the last time you just enjoyed being with your father? When was the last time you just enjoyed being with God? You know, I I was writing this and I, I just had a laugh at myself because I realized there's so many times in my life that I've been reading the Bible and God's been wanting to speak. And I've been like, I got to finish this chapter. Will you be quiet for a second? Or I've been writing in my journal and I've been writing and God's trying to talk and I literally find myself going, shh, I'm trying to write a letter to you. Have you, I mean, have you done that where the to-do, to finish the whatever you study you have to do, the doing of it pushes God out of the process? The whole point of the do is to be with him. When was the last time you just enjoyed being with your father? If we aren't careful, we can quickly become consumed with achieving that mature Christian status. You know what I'm talking about. It's learning all these Bible verses and all these truths so you can impart them to everybody around you who's really not interested in hearing them. That way people look at you and they're like, that guy's smart, or that lady knows what she's talking about. Sometimes we're so focused on looking like a better person. Another way to describe this temptation is living like a Pharisee. These are the people in the New Testament that Jesus described as whitewashed tombs. 
He said they look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside they're full of nothing but dead man's bones. They sought out Bible knowledge to use it for personal gain. And while doing that, they never engaged or entertained having a relationship with the Lord. Pharisees, they knew the Bible as well as anyone, yet their lives weren't rooted in the Bible. Their lives were rooted in selfish ambition and vain conceit. They, were used, they used the Bible to control others while lifting themselves up, making themselves more important. My prayer is that you desire to root your, root your life in the Bible in a way that will spring from understanding his love for you and his sacrifice for you. And that that will produce a love and a passion in you that will force you to chase after him. Romans 5.8 tells us that he chose you and I while we were still helpless and broken sinners. The more clearly I see his love for me and what he's done, the more I'm driven to love him. I want to shift our attention this morning just a little bit. We have a little bit more time left, and we're going to run really fast through five really important things. Actually, it was about 25, and I've cut it down to five. But I want to shift our attention a little to focus on what a life looks like that's rooted in the Word. The first is this. A life that's rooted in the Bible, when we do that, a result of being rooted in the Bible is that it changes our abilities. And there's a couple of these. It, when we root our lives in the Bible, it gives us the, the ability to operate in His strength. 1 Corinthians 3.3, 3, just the passage we were reading, it implies that being rooted in the meat of the Word changes our, 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 vulner, uh, our vulnerability, got the word out, to things like jealousy, arguing, and being controlled by our sinful, sinful nature. It gives us the ability to be free of these things. I would ask you to raise your hands of who's free of those things, but I'm not going to do that. And Hebrews 5.14 says this, Solid food is for those who are mature, who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. This verse tells us as we regularly use the meat of the word, we develop the ability to, turn, to determine right from wrong. Some, some of you in the room might be like, what's the big deal? I know right from wrong. Well, if we all really knew right from wrong, when we look outside at other people, we would see a very different world. You know, it's easy to minimize this, but as pastors here, you can ask any of us, the door swings back and forth all day long, or the phone rings all day long with people saying, hey, help me know what the right thing is to do here. And it's a wonderful thing to seek out advice from other believers. But I want to encourage you also to seek it out from the word on your own as well, to do it together. Another just blessing in how it changes our abilities is it also gives us the ability to know his voice. Second Timothy 3.16 tells us that every word in the Bible is God-breathed. The more time we spend in the word, the better we're able to recognize when he's speaking or when we're speaking to ourselves. It, help us, it helps us differentiate being rooted in his word is a key for that. One of the biggest questions that I hear is how do I know it's God speaking? Spend time in the word and learn his voice. Being in the word, being rooted in his word, not only changes our abilities, but it changes our language. It's the second one. It changes our language. 
In 1 Corinthians 3, 4, we see these believers are battling over who they follow. When one of you says, I follow, I'm, follow, I'm a follower of Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, aren't you just acting like people of the world? Their language is rooted in promoting themselves and positioning themselves to get their needs met and to be seen as powerful or seen as an impactor. If you boil it down, their language is just selfish. I can um, relate to that personally. No comments from my wife or my children over here, though. When we're rooted in the Bible, our language changes. Changes from being selfish to being salty. Colossians 4, 6, it says this. It's such a, such a powerful verse. Always let our conversation be full of grace season, and seasoned with salt. Salt's referring to the truth of the word, God's truth. The Bible is our source for truth. We are, when we are rooted deeply in the Bible, we begin to notice that our conversations always lean towards spiritual things. When you think about your conversations today, this morning, maybe this past week, have your conversations bubbled over with God's truth? When someone's talked to you about advice this week or a problem they're having, did God's truth, did Scripture, maybe not the knowing where it is in the Bible, but the truth of knowing that it's there, has that, did that bubble up? Does it start to come out when you're talking to a friend, when you're talking to family, or when you're talking to strangers? I had a conversation with a friend a while back who was offered a business opportunity. And I could tell he, he didn't know for sure what he was going to do. He had a lot of friends encouraging him to accept it. But I knew he didn't have a piece about the offer. And he asked me my thoughts. And at the moment, God immediately brought two scriptures to mind. I couldn't remember where they were in the Bible, but I remembered these two scriptures. And lucky for me, we were on the phone. So I was able to get my Bible out and go and find where it was. And I shared these verses with him, and he took them, and he said, I'm going to go away and chew on these two verses and talk to the Lord. Later, I heard back from him, and he said, he said the decision was easy from that point. From the time with the Lord and the time in the Word, that's all I needed to know what my decision was supposed to be. The third result of being rooted in the Word is that the Word changes our dependence. Being rooted in the Bible changes our natural tendency to depend on other people. In verses 5 through 7, we see where the Corinthians were placing their dependence on men. And Paul speaks to this. He said, after all, who is Apollos? Who is Paul? We are, all, we, are, we are only God's servants through whom you believe the good news. Each of us did the work the Lord gave us. I planted the seed in your hearts and Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. Being a pastor, I get to have lots of conversations with people about spiritual things. Just being a Christian, normally I engage a lot, but even being a pastor, there's more. And one of the things that I hear people say a lot is things like this. Well, I was listening to Matt Chandler and, or, well, I was listening to John Piper and he said, or I was reading this, this book by Beth Moore and she said, dot, dot, dot. And the truth is, is there's nothing wrong with learning from teachers. It's very good. That's a great thing. But I hunger to hear statements from people that say, you know what, I was digging in the Bible and God said, dot, dot, dot. I was praying yesterday and the Lord spoke to me and said, dot, dot, dot. 
It's easy for us to become dependent for our meat on those that we podcast or that we follow on Twitter. But God desires for us, each of us, to become rooted in the Bible so that we can say, here's what God told me. As much as we refer to learning from others. The fourth result of being rooted in the Word is this, is that it changes our perspective. When we're rooted in the Bible, it continues to remind us that things of this world will pass away, that they're temporary. We're reminded of that all over Scripture. You know, Scripture defines our life as as a morning mist, here today, gone tomorrow, or a flower in a field. In verses 11 through 13 of 1 Corinthians chapter 3, just the ones we're reading in, if you scan down, you'll see that life is full of all these things, gold, silver, all these things that we chase after and spend our time pouring into that will burn away. Scripture reminds us of eternal things, and it helps our perspective stay accurate. When our life is rooted outside of the Bible, it's so easy to become disillusioned with the belief that these worldly and temporary things really matter and that they're really going to last. It's important to see your time and how you spend it like you see money. I want to encourage you around that. Time is more valuable than money, and it's usually just as limited. Once you spend it, I want to encourage you to ask, just like you do when you spend your money, You ask, did I get my money's worth? Because if I didn't, I'm really probably not going to spend it there again. But ask with your time, did I get my time's worth out of that? And if I didn't, and it was poured into things that were temporary or worldly, then I'm going to find a different way to invest my time later. The fifth result of having a life rooted in Scripture is one of the most powerful ones. It's one that I hope you take and chew on today. The fifth result is that it changes our image of God. It changes our image of God, and it helps us to have a more accurate view of God. I think Brennan Manning described why this matters the best in this statement. It's always true to some extent that we make our images of God. It's even truer that our image of God makes us. Eventually, we become like the God we image. One of the most beautiful fruits of knowing the God of Jesus is a compassionate attitude towards ourselves. This is why Scripture attaches such importance to knowing God. Healing our image of God heals our image of ourself. Getting a more accurate view of God will help us to have a more accurate view of ourself. Shows us what our next step of growth is. One of the most clear examples I have of this that I've got to experience in my life was with a friend who was uh, just a member of one of the churches I was a pastor at a number of years ago. During a time we met for mentoring, he told me that he had always believed that God was angry with him and that God's goal for the day was to punish him. That was his belief about God. I came to understand that he related his, his belief about God and how he saw God to the same way that he saw his earthly father who was abusive. He became obsessed with doing the right things all the time to earn God's favor and avoid God's punishment. If he made a mistake, he would beat himself up for weeks and weeks and months and months over some of the smallest mistakes. He explained that he wasn't able to approach the Lord after a mistake because he didn't believe God wanted to be near him. His mistake reinforced his belief that God didn't like him. 
it created such pressure and stress in his life to perform for God that at some points he would just have a blow up. And oftentimes his family were, were the ones around him who would suffer, even to the point of abuse going on. Again, his failure would reinforce his belief that God was angry with him and wanted to punish him. Can you see how his skewed view of God shaped who he became over the years of his life? It wasn't until he was in his late 40s that he realized what the Bible said about God's love and grace for him. I remember it really clearly. He showed up at my office one day, and he was not smiling. He was angry. And I'm thinking, what in the world is wrong with this guy? And he walked in, and and we were reading a book that was about grace. And he threw it down on my desk, and I was like, "Uh uh-oh, it's about to get real in here. And then he said this. He said, why has it taken over 40 years for someone to tell me about this? He then began to cry. You see, it was there that my friend began to realize the love and the grace that God had for him. Over time, he began to reconstruct his unbiblical view of of God, and and he began to accept so much more of a biblical, accurate view of God, a God who loved him and had grace, and a God who wasn't surprised when he made a mistake, who wasn't pacing the floor of heaven going, oh my goodness, what did you do? But who was in full control and who died for every sin that he committed before, during that day, and every sin he will continue to commit in his life. He began to see Jesus as a Savior, a Savior who accepted suffering, rejection, pain, and even death to create a way to have a relationship with him. See, being rooted deeply in the Bible can change your life and your perspective as well. As we close, I want to encourage you with the words of Billy Graham. This is a man who's preached the gospel to as many as 215 million people in over 185 countries. 215 million people alive, not counting the people he preached to on TV or radio or through his writing. Graham has been credited with preaching to more individuals than anyone else in history, not counting the additional millions that we just talked about. His integrity has encouraged millions to heed his spiritual guidance, including Martin Luther King Jr., Bono, Muhammad Ali, and every president from Eisenhower till present. He's been rated by the Gallup organization as one of the 10 most admired men in the world 51 times. So you can imagine my ears perked up when I heard this question. It was last year on his 95th birthday. He was asked, is there anything you would do differently if you could? And his response was this. Although I have much to be grateful for, as I look back over my life, I also have many regrets. I have failed many times, and I would do many things differently. For one thing, I would speak less, and I would study the Bible more. And I would spend more time with my family. Billy Graham looked back at 95, and he said, I would study the Bible more, and I would spend more time with my family. So where are you rooted this morning? It's what you do with today that matters. And there's a lot of today left. Let's pray. God, thank you for your grace. Lord, thank you for your love. Lord, especially thank you for the words of the Bible that show us and teach us about that grace and that love. Lord, thank you for your patience for us and for always being willing to walk alongside us and to grow us and to teach us. And I just ask that you would build a passionate fire in our hearts to dig into your word in your name. Amen.